Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Steve Fowler, lead pastor, as he begins. Uh, great to be home. Great to dive back into this uh, series, Sacred Places. We've been looking at uh, biblical sacred places, uh, places like the Jordan River or Bethel, uh, the temple that Solomon dedicates. John last week talked to us about the upper room, uh, that place where Jesus couldn't wait to be with his disciples and, and really asked a great question. Do you really believe that God can't wait to be with you? Uh, that he, I, I really hope you've had some upper room experiences this week that you've connected with God. And uh, we're going to be talking about a sacred place. Uh, it's called Antioch, uh, a place that God would send from, uh, an incredible sacred place. Um, I, I love getting mail. Uh, let me just clarify that. I love getting real mail. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, not, not junk mail. When I was a kid growing up, junk mail didn't exist. Junk mail was an oxymoron. Uh, mail could not be junk. Uh, I went to boarding school in Malaysia. My parents were living in China. And so every day after school, the first place that I would stop on my way back to my room was the mailbox to see if there was a postcard or a letter from my dad and mom. And they wrote, literally, they wrote every week. Um, and uh, I would check that mailbox. Couldn't wait to check the mail. Nowadays, I find that it's like every two to four days I check the mail. Sort of drag my feet to the mailbox and stick my key in and open it up and get the mail out. And I feel like I work for the post office because I'm sorting the mail in my hand and I'm hoping for a real letter. Kids, you ever, ever you know, birthday comes around and, and aren't you just waiting? You can't wait to see if there's a card from an aunt or an uncle or grandma and grandpa. And maybe there's... Some cash in the letter. Uh, who cares what they said? Just open it up and shake it and uh, uh, see if there's any... I mean, you, we love real mail. Uh, news from a distant place or a gift or whatever it is. Uh, we love mail. The post office will tell you that you know, mail business is, is suffering. Uh, this real letter stuff um, is, is suffering because you know, like now we have text messaging, uh, email, instant messaging. You've got social media sites like Facebook where you can communicate in an instant. You know what's going on all the time and it's impacting uh, the, the post office. Um, you can send it and it's there in a second. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, cutting edge technology was a ballpoint pen. Uh, you, know, you, know, you, you, you wrote on a piece of paper. Or I remember the day when my dad got one of those fancy IBM electric typewriters. It had this ball on it. You push a button and it would, it would put a letter on a piece of paper. And if you wanted to change fonts, you lifted the ball off and you put a different font in. The, I mean, it was, you could, it was amazing stuff back in the day. I feel old. <laughs> Some of you, you feel old too. We used to write letters and then put it in an envelope and stamps. You, you had to lick them. They weren't self-adhesive and you put them in the mail. And it could take weeks for a letter to get delivered. Living in Malaysia or in China, we wrote back to the U.S. It literally, it could take a month before that letter got there. And in fact, my grandfather tells a story. He was living in Pennsylvania. He met this young, attractive woman uh, named Esther Rule, my grandmother, and her parents were living in Tibet, China. They were missionaries, my great-grandfather. And so he wrote a letter from Pennsylvania to these missionaries, to, to my great-grandparents in Tibet, and asking permission to marry their daughter. Wrote the letter, mailed it, waited with anticipation. Three months went by, no response yet. So he says, what the heck? Grandpa wouldn't say heck. You know, darn. Uh, and, and so what, what, so he, uh, 
She just got married and, and married my, my grandmother. Two months after they're married, they get a letter from China that says, no, you may not marry our daughter. <laughs> True story. Sometimes slow is your friend. Uh, can you imagine text messaging, you know, can I marry your daughter? No. Who's preaching today? Wouldn't be me. Uh, think about it. <laughs> oh, I like letters and I like them when they're late. Uh, we, we all like real mail, whether it's late or, or we get the next day. Letters, a real letter is, is treasured. Now, Paul uses that metaphor in 1 Corinthians as he's talking about this church in Corinth. He writes them and says, you show that you are a letter sent from Christ. You show that you are a letter sent from Christ. Here, I want you to hear this today. Our God is ascending God. Our God is a sending God. He has been sending his mail. He's been sending his letters across the street to neighborhoods or across the oceans to the nations. He's a sending God across streets, across oceans, to the nations and to the neighborhoods. He sent a letter of promise for a guy like Abraham who came from Ur of Chaldees all the way over to what is today Israel. A letter of promise. You're going to have more children than, and, and, and there are stars in the sky. More, more, more descendants than there are you know, grains of sand on the beach. He sends a, a letter through Moses to Pharaoh. Dear Pharaoh, let my people go. He sends a letter uh, to a, a sort of a last ditch effort to turn around a city called Nineveh through a reluctant prophet named Jonah. Remember that story? I think a lot of us can relate to Jonah. Man, that's a tough message. I don't know if I want to do that. And so Jonah heads the other direction and God sort of reroutes mail through the digestive tract of a whale and gets it to Nineveh. And in the New Testament, Jesus is preparing his own disciples for this being a letter. He sends out the 12 to villages and hamlets in, in that country in Israel, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing, doing good deeds. In fact, a great example of just going across the street, you find in the book of Acts, a guy named Ananias. Remember Saul? He's on this road to Damascus. He's going to persecute Christians. The glory of Jesus knocks him off his horse. And he's taken to Damascus. And he's told that someone's going to come to him. And it's Ananias. Ananias is told to go see Saul. And he's pretty nervous about that because Saul's been killing Christians. And Jesus says, no, you're going to go across the street. My paraphrase. I want you to go tell Paul this. That he is going to be a light to the Gentiles. Whether it's across the street to the neighborhoods or across the oceans to the nations, our God is ascending God and you are his letter. You show that you are a letter sent from Christ. As I look on the faces of those who are gathered here today, I'm so grateful for you because I see all the different areas where you're being a letter for Christ. Some of you have taken trips to the nations. Some of you are intentionally moved into a neighborhood so that you would be a letter sent from Christ. And our God is a sending God. And we all have sacred places where God spoke to us and we responded and he used us in, in a way that just, it just felt, we felt privileged to be used by him. And Antioch is one of those sacred places. So grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11, and would you stand as we read God's word today? If you didn't bring a Bible, you'll find one that looks like this in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, turn to page 1090 and you'll find this passage. Acts 11, I'm going to begin reading, uh, begin reading in verse 19, 
Uh, I'll read through verse 26, and then I'm going to jump over to uh, chapter 13 and read three verses there because there's more description of this sacred place called Antioch. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now jump over to chapter 13, verse 1. Luke is going to describe this church some more. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, who, by the way, this is why we get so much of the inside scoop of what's happening in Herod's court. Manaen became a believer, but he knew what was happening in Herod's courts because he was a boyhood friend. So you got Manaen, then you got Saul, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. Sacred places. And our God, our God is a sending God. He's sending his mail. He's sending his letters through people like you and me. Now, let me just quickly show you, it's not an exhaustive list, but a few ways that God does his sending from this text. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 19, it starts up by saying, in connection with the persecution of Stephen, the church was scattered. Remember back when when Jesus told his disciples to wait in in the upper room? The 120 were waiting in the upper room, and Acts chapter 2 records that on this, this Pentecost day, the Holy Spirit came. The Jewish community throughout the nations would come together uh, for these Jewish festivals. And one of those festivals happens to be Pentecost. Jews would come to Jerusalem, celebrate typically Passover and then Pentecost. And as the Jewish community from around the known world is in Jerusalem, uh, this 120 is in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls and we know that they receive the gift of tongues. There, this is mighty rushing wind. There's these, these tongues of fire. And, and all this noise draws the community to this upper room, wondering what is going on. The upper room spills out into the streets, and, and the people are speaking in tongues. Languages recognized by people who are there from other countries. Now, throw that first map up there, if you would, Ron, because just to give you an idea, there, there are people from all around the world, but we have people from Cyrene, which is today northern Libya, and Cyprus, who have come to Jerusalem for this festival. They're there. They hear these, these people speaking in languages fluently, and they know they're from Galilee, and, and these people are speaking the praises of God. 
Peter gets up, he preaches, and we have people who are coming to Christ. 3,000 people come to Christ, some from Cyrene and some from Cyprus. The church grows, and you remember in Acts chapter 7, we have the, the persecution, the execution of Stephen, and Saul, among others the, of the religious establishment, would persecute the church, and the church would run for their lives. So the next picture, the next map we here, we have Jerusalem is, is running for their lives, and some go to Cyprus, some go to Phoenicia, which is modern-day Lebanon, and some end up in Antioch. And let me just pause right here at, at that point, because... What we learn from this is, yes, our God is ascending God, and sometimes he uses pain to send his mail. Sometimes he uses the, the, the painful circumstances of our lives to expose us to people who have not yet heard about him. Think about it. What, what's some of the pain you've experienced in life? Or perhaps maybe you're here today, and you're in pain. Broken relationship. Maybe... Because of the economic situation, you, you, you lost your house. And now you're living in an apartment complex and, you, and you, one, one time you owned a home. And, and perhaps, as in Acts chapter 11 verse 19, perhaps God might use that pain to send you as a letter to, to, to people who you've not been exposed to before. That was the case for these guys that were, uh, and these families that were leaving Jerusalem. It was their pain that God used to send them. Now, I believe God in His sovereignty did not initiate the pain, but He used the pain. He, what the enemy used, for, intended for, for evil, God used for good. God can redeem the pain and the brokenness of our lives for His glory. And He uses it, he uses it sometimes to, to expose His Son to others through you because you are a letter. You show that you are letters sent from Christ. And as this, these letters were mailed from Jerusalem, they went telling all kinds of people about Jesus. Samaria hears about Jesus. Antioch hears about Jesus. Jews and Greeks hear about Jesus because people were in pain. Could it be that the pain you're in today could be redeemed by God? And perhaps what was meant for evil, God might want to turn around and use for his glory in your life. Sometimes God uses the painful circumstances of our lives to send us, to get us in different locations. Loss of a job, broken relationship, loss of a house, you name it. You know your pain. God is ascending God, and he uses pain. He also uses people. In this story, we, we may have the, the first short-term missions trip Recorded in scripture. See, as these people are running in pain and they're telling people about Jesus, uh, some Jewish believers are going to synagogue and they're telling their Jewish friends about Jesus. The Greeks who are from Cyrene and Cyprus, they've come. They don't typically go to synagogue, but they're telling people that they've rubbed shoulders with all their life. Africans and, and Greek and Gentile nations, people from Turkey, people from Egypt. They're just, just telling everybody. And evangelism happens out of the box. There are people from other races and colors who are believing in Jesus. We need to check this out. This is, this is weird. Who do we tap? Ah, let's tap Barnabas. Barnabas is from Cyprus. He was there celebrating Pentecost, came to Christ, serving faithfully. They tap Barnabas. Barnabas goes up to Antioch to see what's going to happen. And that short-term trip to Antioch turns into probably a long-term trip because we don't read about him coming back to Jerusalem. 
He gets up there. He's so excited about what he sees in Antioch that he starts just encouraging and, and teaching more people come to Christ. And then he makes a trip to southern Turkey, goes to a town named Tarsus, and he begins looking for Saul. Imagine doing that. I'm going to go to uh, Roseburg and look for Paul. No phones. No, you know, that must have been a job. Imagine that. Imagine finding him and then having a conversation. Paul, you, you need to move with me to Antioch. There's this incredible thing going on. And, and you've, you're gifted. Come with me. And Barnabas brings Paul with him to Antioch. Not only was it a sacred conversation, I think that moment was a sacred place. Wherever that conversation happened for Paul. Because it's the beginning of all kinds of activity of God in his life. Sometimes God uses pain. Sometimes God uses people to speak promise into our lives. They see potential in you and they're calling you into the game. The church does it with Barnabas and Barnabas does it with Paul. I have a sacred place in my life. It's, uh, it may, may not sound sacred. It's a, it's a duck pond. It's a pond just off of I-84 when you pass Hood River as you're headed east. It's on the right-hand side as you're headed east. And it's sacred for me because in December, as I'm laying in the grass with a friend of mine named Tim, who is a youth pastor, and we have our decoys out. And as we're laying there with no ducks coming, he, he strikes up a conversation with me and asks me a question. He says, Steve, do you think maybe God's calling you to be a pastor I mean, I see this in you. you. You've been preaching, and you're leading a men's ministry. I just, I just wonder if, if God might be doing something. And we started having a conversation in a duck pond. Um, but probably the first time someone's been called into ministry holding a shotgun. Uh, it, it's, just, it's a sacred place for me. Often when I drive by, I remember that was a place where my life took a whole new trajectory. And you have your sacred places too. And I just want to, we have an event around here every so often called REACH. Student ministries started it with their youth, and we have some of the best student ministry pastors around. And they began this whole idea of finding out which youth among them might God be calling to send to the nations and to the neighborhoods. And, and provided a place for them to begin a journey of finding where they might be sent, whether it's across the street or across the ocean. I want to invite Russell McIntyre and Rob Childs to come on up and join me just for a quick little interview because I want you to see a modern-day expression of what it looks like when someone sees another person and calls out of them the ministry that God's got for them. And Russell, you were at one of those first REACH events and were, uh, you know, Brian and Josh and Paula and Michelle are, are there leading. And talk about the role REACH played in you discovering God calling you to be sent. Well, before the whole REACH event had ever started, um, I didn't really have an idea that you could say to God, you know, I'm giving myself to you, God. Um, I'm committing myself as you allow um, for what you have for me in my life, and in this case, foreign missions. Um, and so that was a huge turning point for me where I was able to see that, you know, you can say that to God and you can just allow him to take you um, and just take you on this journey. Um, and so... With every REACH event uh, since then, um, I've been able to learn more about missions and learn more what it means to be a missionary and what that looks like. And so uh, really being able to do that, I would just be able to um, 
get more from that and just have this huge fire just ignited um, in my heart um, just for missions and for uh, what God's plan is for my life. So you told God, God, as you allow, I'm willing to commit my life to serve you wherever. Um, and, and you're thinking internationally. And now you have a particular, you feel like, mission. by the way, you know, missions is looking different these days. We have countries that are closed. You just can't go in and plant churches. But, Russell, you have sort of a, a platform, a passion that you see being used by God. What, what is that? I've had a passion about since fifth grade uh, for architecture, and which is kind of an interesting thing. You don't necessarily, necessarily see a whole lot. But with architecture, um, I've just been uh, drawing house plans since fifth grade and just really enjoying it and really uh, growing in that. And so being able to see how God can use architecture in my life um, as I grow up, uh, to use that as a career, um, as a platform um, for um, this certain country or countries that God would have me uh, work in. So Russell tells the youth staff, I've, I sense God's calling me. And then part of, of REACH is connecting uh, people with coaches, with, with the Barnabas. And that's where Rob comes in. Because Rob ends up being a Barnabas to Russell in this. And uh, Rob, talk to us about what, uh, what that might look like. And it's a pretty cool story. Yeah, Russell, and I knew Russell's parents, but I didn't uh, know Russell when we got paired up. And so obviously the first thing we, we had to do was uh, get to know each other. And so uh, I've learned a lot about uh, Russell and uh, his love for architecture. He's been drawing house plans, he said, since fifth grade. And he's got a love for soccer. And uh, he's going to be a, ger- a junior this year at uh, West Salem High School and studying German. I think this will be his third year German, I think, this year. And and uh, so, and I got to share a little bit about uh, my own background experience. I'm a missionary kid, and so I got to share with Russell a little bit about my own interest and experience uh, with missions. And, and then from there, I really see my role as a, as a reach coach for Russell in, in two ways specifically. Um, first is, you know, Russell's got other adults in his life um, um, besides myself. But I really see my role in Russell's life as being that adult who keeps the missions conversation alive. Um, the conversation going with Russell, this, this dream, this, uh, this passion that he feels like God has given him, keeping that, uh, uh, that conversation going. Because for the practical reality for Russell as a junior in high school is that he's got years ahead of him uh, before he's going to be able to see uh, the fruition of that dream and passion come to, come to reality. And so I just want to keep that conversation going, keeping, keeping and spurring on to, to do well in school and finish high school and, and uh, talk to him about where he's thinking about going to college and, and all those pieces. And then a little bit more practically beyond there, it's for me to try to find um, ways to connect him up uh, to, to keep this dream alive in more practical kinds of ways. So let me give you some, some examples. Uh, you've heard of uh, high school students doing job shadows, and uh, Russell was interested, and we talked about him doing a job shadow in the field of architecture. And, and uh, with my involvement in Broadway Commons, I was aware of a young architect here at Sam Alliance by the name of Aaron Turpening, uh, who was involved in the design team for Broadway Commons. And so I, I connected up Russell and Aaron, and, and uh, Russell got to job shadow Aaron at an at architecture firm here in town. And uh, the day he was there, they were working on some Broadway Commons plans, and and uh, so you kind of got to see it from a couple of different perspectives, and it was cool. And, uh, and most recently, Russell's been talking about doing a short-term trip on his own to Europe next summer to just to continue to explore uh, this, this uh, dream that he feel like, feels like God has given him. So Susan White, our, our director of 
Uh, World Missions and I are kind of looking through some options and trying to make some connections to see if we can't help get Russell placed uh, in a short-term missions trip uh, next summer to kind of keep this, uh, this missions dream, uh, dream alive. So here we have, I got a young guy who's saying, God, I, as you allow, I feel called. Here's my, here's my passion, architecture. Here's Rob Childs, who's being a coach, being a mentor, being a Barnabas, helping Russell in, in this journey. And then Broadway Commons is happening and gets him connected with uh, helping with the architecture. And you, you design Broadway Commons. Great job. It looks awesome over there. I'm just messing around with you. But you... But you get, you get a chance to... You're like, I did. Uh, but you got some hands-on experience from a guy who's, who's doing part of that and what he does and his, his job. And um, we're excited for you, man. And uh, I, I think everyone here would say, we believe in God's call in your life and we want to bless you. In fact, we're going to do that now. So let's pray for you. God, I thank you for Rob and for the time that he's made for Russell. I thank you for the, the encouragement that he is to Russell. And I thank you for the call you have in Russell's life. Would you make the, the journey smooth as he uh, figures out where you're sending him? Would you make school a possibility for him? And may school be paid for. And I pray that, that Russell will be used to share you, Jesus, with many, many people who, who haven't heard or perhaps have heard and turned deaf ear to you. I pray that you would use him mightily in the future for the sake of your great name, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. It's just a practical way of what that might look like today. But here's my question for you. Who could you be a Barnabas for? Who, who do you see? Like, man, I, I, I see God at work in that person. Why not have a conversation with them and say, you know what? Come, come teach with me at the Life Center. Come be a helper with me in my class in the Life Center. Or come, come serve with me at children's ministry. Or, you know, I, you have a passion for this neighborhood. Come with me to Grant School. Let's mentor some kids. Uh, come with me downtown. Let's serve here. Who, who could you be a Barnabas to? Because sometimes God uses the pain in our lives to send us. Sometimes he uses people. People like you. And yes, there are those moments we read about in Acts chapter 13 where it's a supernatural experience where the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. And one author has said that great churches are not known for their seating capacity, but for their sending capacity. Whether it's across the street or across the oceans, to the neighborhoods within the nations. And guess what? God is sending people to us as well. Quick last story. As Broadway Commons is about to open, a significant part of the, of the ministry over there is a coffee shop. And you know, when you're looking for someone to run a coffee shop who's got some pastoral ministry gifts, who loves people, loves the neighborhood, loves to reach out, it's not like you can just pull up a website or open a book and say, okay, we're all the pastors who, have, who, who are theologically trained and who are great at training baristas and who love coffee and have, have business experience. There's not a lot of people out there. And we've been praying at Rob, who's in charge of our hiring human resources. We've been kind of, we need the right person for this. Now, a year and a half ago, we have a family that's taking vacation. They come to Salem and they come in the summer and it's beautiful here in Salem. They think, we'd like to move to this place. <laughs> you ever have one of those experiences? You go on vacation, you go, man, this is the best place. I got to move there. Well, Matt and Lori Swain come on vacation here to visit some friends. They love Salem, and God starts to do something in their heart, and they're thinking, you know, maybe, maybe we should move to Salem. 
But they're wise, so they say, let's come when it's raining. So they come in like November, you know November. They come in November and visit, and I'm uh, wondering, uh, you know, God, do you want us to, to move here? And, and they start sensing a call months ago to move to Salem. Now here's some things you need to know about Matt and Lori. Matt and Lori worked in Spain uh, with, with, with team. They, they did missions in, in, in Spain, and their platform was a coffee shop. And they ran a coffee shop there for several years. And, and then they came home, they sold the coffee shop, came home, they moved to Illinois, and they became, became part of an alliance church in Illinois. Matt became licensed and ordained with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, who we are a part of as a denomination. Takes a vacation, comes here, comes back in November, quits his job, they replace, tells his church what's going on. He, he finds a replacement, moves to Salem with no job in June. And two weeks later, hears about a coffee shop and uh, fills an application, sends a resume to Rob, who when he reads it, is jumping up and down, shrieking like a girl, right? Uh, <laughs> now, that's not totally true, and I'll pay for that later, but he's, he's pretty excited, I mean, how in the world could this be? Here's a guy who served as a missionary. He's licensed and ordained in our denomination. And he's run a coffee shop. And God's sent him to us. Is that not just beautiful? So, yeah, we hired him. (laughs) Seemed like the right thing to do. Matt's training baristas. They're getting ready to roll. They were up in Portland uh, yesterday with, with the second half of the baristas at Stumptown uh, learning how to brew coffee. And they're getting ready to launch. You've got to meet this guy. We'll have him up on the platform and you'll get a chance to, to meet him. I, I love his heart. I'm so glad God, God's sent him to us. We're sending across the street and across, uh, across the oceans. We're sending to the, to the nations and to the neighborhoods. And God is sending people to us. Why? Because people matter to Him. And you show that you are a letter sent from Christ. Our God is a sending God. You are His mail. And He's positioned you perfectly in this place, at this time, for His purposes. You've been listening to Steve Fowler, lead pastor at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.